Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today, and uh, so glad to see all of you made it to church at one of our campuses, way to go. It's an effort sometimes to get to church, and so uh, way to go on that. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online, wherever you might be, driving or in somebody's home or apartment or classroom, I guess not classroom on Sunday, right? I hope not. But anyway, welcome to all of you who are watching online as well. It's a great day to be with you. You know, last weekend, uh, there are no words really to describe that, 860 people were baptized. And I just have to say that if you came to church that day or that weekend in freezing weather, waited in line in a t-shirt and bathing suit and got baptized in front of hundreds of people during flu season, <laughs> you should never worry about your salvation ever again. You are in heaven for sure, no matter what happens. I am so proud of those of you who did that. My wife and I were out of town, and we were watching this service on my little phone together on a couch, and midway through, we just started crying. We just cried together at the images and, and, and people who are responding to uh, following Christ in baptism, obeying him in a public way like that, and it was just, I, I'm, again, I'm just so proud of those of you who did that. And my prayer all week long would be that this would be a marker in your life, that this would be a new beginning of sorts for you of following and obeying Jesus Christ all life long. And then, after a full year of planning and praying, finding staff and training 200 volunteers, we are on the verge of opening our seventh campus in Wyzetta uh, two weeks from today in Wyzetta High School. Yeah, it's gonna be outstanding. Again, a lot of work, a lot of prayers gone into this, and it's, it's a really historic movement of God. And so those of you on the west side of the Twin Cities, we're thrilled to be able to come your way. We believe that Wyzetta High School is going to be at capacity in two weeks uh, from today. But today we are in a series called Heaven on Earth because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told his disciples that they should pray for God's kingdom to come to earth. And just to refresh your memory about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, look, you ought to pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, even as it is happening in heaven. He told us to pray that heaven would come to earth, that whatever is going on up in heaven would come to earth. So the question is, what is going on up in heaven? For example, is anybody alone in heaven? Is anyone afraid? Is anyone hungry, neglected, or in pain in heaven? Is anyone devalued because of their social status or ethnicity? And the answer, of course, is no, because in heaven, all of us are equally valued and equally loved by God. If heaven came to earth, those of us who are strong would help the weak. Those of us who had a lot would help those who had a little, and those who had God's love would share God's love with others. If heaven came to earth, Krispy Kreme donuts would be good for you, the elliptical machine would be bad for you, and I would have a photographic memory while Jason would have to use notes when he spoke. But those things haven't happened yet, so keep praying because Jesus prayed for heaven would come to earth someday. But if you boiled it all down to one thing, what would it look like if heaven came to earth? You know, one time Jesus was asked a very important question, Lord, what does it all come down to? The Bible, you know, this existence, earth, you know, heaven and earth. What does it all come down to? And Jesus said there's, there's two things, two statements. If you get this right, you'll get 
life right. You'll get the God thing right. You'll get the people thing right. He said two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Have a relationship with God. And then love each other as a flow out of that relationship with God. Learn to love each other as you love yourself. Gang, I'm telling you, if that happened, if we all learned how to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then let that love flow out of us to other people, heaven would be happening on earth. The problem, of course, is instead of loving God, people turned away from God. Instead of loving each other, we often choose to blame each other, take sides, get back at her, in many cases, just ignore each other. And when that happens, it's easy to forget about loving others and just take care of ourselves. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were sitting at a very busy six-lane intersection that had four turn lanes, several crosswalks, and a lot of traffic on both sides. We were in California, so this intersection was unfamiliar to me. There was just a lot of chaos at this intersection. The light turned green, and this wave of traffic, three lanes of traffic, came toward me turning left. But then, out of nowhere, a woman on a bicycle with long gray hair and a flowery shirt was turning with this stream of traffic along with them, and people were honking and hitting their brakes, and she could have cared less because she was in California doing her thing, you know, flowery shirt, gray hair, the whole deal. But my wife never saw that woman on the bicycle. She was watching another woman who was crossing an intersection way over on the other side and who happened to be in a wheelchair. True story. So we were both looking at different women when I said, look at her. She's going to cause an accident. She shouldn't even be out here. She's a hazard. Laurie said, well, clearly, Bob, her legs don't work. I said, what do you mean? I said, her legs are fine. Laurie said, she's in a wheelchair. I said, she's on a bicycle. And then we realized we were looking at two different women, and we just started laughing till we cried. But that's kind of how it is. My wife sees people who are in need and feels compassion. I see people who are annoying and just frustrate the heck out of me. And sometimes, sometimes I don't even see people at all. You know, the truth about me is I get so caught up in daily life, I can go for weeks, really, without expressing much love to anyone other than my dog or my wife. And sometimes it's just the dog. So sometimes I personally need to be challenged on this. I need a wake-up call. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ and a student of his life for more than five decades. And one thing I'm very clear about is that part of loving God and loving others is that those of us who have much are to share with those who don't. But the truth about me is if I don't expose my heart on a regular basis to what the Bible says about this, if I don't expose my heart to how God thinks about this, I will just drift every time towards selfishness. I will drift toward isolation, toward caring for myself, and not really giving much of a rip about other people. But gang, as a follower of Jesus, I can't do that. And we as a church can't do that because loving God and loving others in part means that those who have much, and most of us have much, are to share with those 
who don't have much of all. Now, the most convincing or convicting teaching that Jesus gave on this is from Matthew 25, where he talks about this day that is coming for every single one of us, whether you're a believer in Christ or not. This day is coming. It's a final judgment day of our lives. And every single one of us, there's going to come a day where we're going to stand before God, and he's going to separate people during this final judgment. The Bible says he's going to separate people into two different groups. And the Bible says in Matthew 25, Jesus tells this story. In the one group, the group on his right, God is going to say, come into my kingdom prepared for you. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, thirsty, and gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me sick, and you looked after me in prison, and you came to visit me. And his listeners are kind of surprised by this. And they respond to this, and they say, Lord, when? Those on the right, when did we see you like this? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we clothe you or visit you in prison? And God will say to this group, he'll say, whenever you did it for one of the least of these, you actually did it for me. And he welcomes them into heaven. But then he turns to the group on his left. And he says these convicting, almost scary words. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and nothing to drink. A stranger, you did not invite me, and I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And these, these people are shocked. And so they ask the same question, Lord, but when did we see you like that? When did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, or in prison? And God, through Christ, says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Again, very disturbing teaching. I've had to wrestle with this text myself over and over, but I want to clear something up really right away. Matthew 25 is a story that Jesus tells about the final judgment, again, that every single one of us is going to face. And on that day, the Bible says God is going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And the Bible says the righteous will be welcomed into heaven, the unrighteous will be banished from heaven, and in this text, what separates the two groups is how they treated the poor. Jesus said those who fed the hungry, clothed the naked, and visited the sick and in prison will gain heaven, and those who did not do those things will actually miss heaven. But I read this and I go, but wait a minute, time out. This, this is a conflict inside me because I know what the entire Bible says about salvation. Does that mean that we gain heaven by good works? Do we, do we get into heaven because we're good, good people? No. None of us are good enough. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. Nobody is. That's why Jesus came and offered his life as a sacrifice for us. None of us are good enough. The Bible is very clear that we are saved by faith in Christ. 
not by doing good things for the poor. I want to back this up. The words of Christ, God so loved the world, God so loved every one of us, that he gave his only son as a sacrifice that whoever, what, does good things, serves the poor? No. Whoever believes in him, puts their full trust in him as their savior, will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord as their Savior, they will be saved. Ephesians 2, it is by grace, by God's grace, that we are saved through faith, not by works, not by doing good things for the poor. We are saved through faith, not of works. Can anybody boast? But if it's our, so it's our faith that saves us, but if, if it's our faith that saves us, what is the meaning then of Matthew 25? <laughs> Matthew 25 is a parable that Jesus told to make a very important point. And his singular point, I believe, in Matthew 25 is that responding to the poor is a very big deal to God. We gain heaven solely by faith in Jesus who paid our way with his death on a cross. But one of the signals of true faith is that we will begin loving the things that God loves and doing the things that God does. I love verse 37. Jesus commends the righteous for caring for the poor. And they say, but when did we do that? When did we feed, clothe, or visit you in prison? And they weren't even aware they weren't even aware that they had been compassionate because being compassionate to, toward those in need is a natural outflow of someone's faith. They weren't even aware of it. You know, they weren't trying to earn their way to heaven. They were do, doing just what true Christians do because people who've been saved by God and changed by God, start loving what God loves and doing what God does. And I'm telling you, a big part of that is responding to those in need, not to gain heaven, but because they have heaven. Not to get saved, but because they have been saved already. The point of Matthew 25 is not to scare people into serving the poor, but that serving the poor is a significant part of what it means to love God and love others. I want to make three quick observations about this text. The first observation is this. It is not okay to ignore the needs. of the, It's just not. It's just not okay. It's, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to the group on his left, you know, that they were dishonest, that they were violent, cruel, mean people. They didn't do bad things. It's just that they did nothing. They looked away. They ignored the problem. And gang, that is not okay. Eight years ago, our family flew down to the Bahamas because my daughter wanted a small wedding, and it cost a lot, <laughs> way too much. And, but some of our friends let us use their place, and it was just a great time as a family. But after the wedding was done and everybody went home, my wife and I stayed a few extra days uh, by ourselves. And while we were there, one of the worst humanitarian crises was about to hit the country of Haiti. It's January 10th. 2010, just eight years ago, I remember this. I was sitting on the end of a private dock with a lemonade in my hand. The earthquake hit, if you remember this, 200,000 people lost their lives that very day 
and left over a million people homeless. I mean, news stations lit up with footage of you know, dead bodies and crying kids and polluted water. Dysentery became an immediate problem. And the, the, the very thought that went through my brain, and I'll never forget this, I thought this, Haiti is a mere 80-minute plane ride away from where I'm sitting right now. Just 80 minutes away. I'm in a beautiful home. The refrigerator is full. I have a plane ticket that's going to whisk me away in a couple of days back to a safe and stable life. But just 80 minutes away, it's as if a bomb dropped and people have lost everything. Honestly, I wanted, I wanted to ignore it. I wanted to turn off the television, just enjoy my time away and ignore it. But I forced myself to wrestle with this thing that was happening. I, I sat on the dock, dock and I thought, what responsibility do I have as a person who simply by virtue of where I was born was given all the advantages of education, work, and money? What responsibility does a person like me have toward those who have none of those things and now have even less? What would loving God and loving others require of me? Now, honestly, the easiest thing would be to go back home and just say, it's not my problem. You know, I, I could say that, you know, Haiti's a broken society anyway. No amount of aid will ever fix Haiti. I could ignore the problem and let our church ignore it. Ignore it but gang, I just couldn't. I couldn't do it because love does not allow that. So the very next weekend, I asked our church to respond, and you did. And we decided to give our entire weekend offering to the relief effort at a risk, really, to, to paying our bills and keeping this whole thing going. But we sent $200,000 down to the relief effort in Haiti. And then an Eaglebrook couple, Jeff and Alan Gasick, flew down they bought two trucks on their own dime, and they began hauling clean water for people, and the, the organization Healing Haiti was born. Today, Healing Haiti has mushroomed into a ministry that employs 170 Haitians, 200 active volunteers. They built a clinic and a school with 45 teachers, and with the generosity, again, of this church, of over a quarter million dollars, we were able to build a church in the poorest, one of the poorest cities in the world, City Soleil, and healing Haiti is happening because people responded. The group Jesus condemned in Matthew 25 weren't mean. They weren't violent. They weren't cruel. They didn't do bad things. It's just that they did nothing. And God had no tolerance for that. Gang, it is not okay to ignore the needs of the poor. Second observation, this is so important. It's not a program. It ought to be a practice. Again, when Jesus commended those who ministered to the poor, they were totally unaware that they had done that. Meeting the needs of those who were hungry, naked, and sick was just a part of their daily practice, and they were totally unaware that they were actually ministering to Jesus himself. I bring this up because so often we want to put everything into a program. 
And there's nothing wrong with programs. You can do a lot of good things with with programs. But Jesus' point is that compassion is not a program. It's not something you join. It should be a part of who you are. And sometimes, sometimes it's as simple as giving someone a hug or praying for somebody or smiling at somebody or recognizing their presence or name. When God puts somebody in your path who needs help, don't wait for a program. Chances are you are the program that God wants to use in that situation. So often people say, why doesn't the church do something about that or that? You are the church. I'm the church. Don't wait for a program. You're it. I've learned more about this from my 30-year-old son, almost more than anybody. David works in Minneapolis, as some of you know, and he walks past homeless people every single day. And even though he's very busy, and doesn't need the hassle. He frequently stops and engages people. He's bought countless meals for people and prayed for them. And I talked to him about this just two weeks ago. He said, Dad, for me, it's all about adding dignity to somebody's life. He said, it just hurts me to see a grown man or grown woman holding a sign, and the need for food is real, but what hurts me even more is to see a person who's as loved by God and valued by God as myself or my wife, Sarah, but has lost their dignity. So the gift isn't just the food, he says, it's the dignity they feel when I smile and ask them their name. Love that. He said a few years ago, he was backing his car into a parking space near their apartment downtown Minneapolis, and you know, a, a homeless woman, a 62-year-old woman appeared, and she kind of was helping him back in, and he didn't need her help, but he, you know, she was helping him back. And when he got out of the car, she said, sir, was that, was that good enough for a meal? <laughs> her name was Cynthia. And so Dave walked her across the street, brought, bought her a meal at Lund's grocery store, and she wanted to eat her meal outside. And so they sat on the street curb together, Dave in his suit and tie, and Cynthia in her street clothes. She struggles and still does with schizophrenia, not enough to be hospitalized, but she can't hold down a job. She was adopted at age eight, but lived on the street most of her life, never had a place of her own. Dave asked her about her faith, and she said her adopted parents were Muslim, and so she guessed that she was Muslim. And David said, well, what do you know about Christianity? She said, not much. What do you know about Islam? She said, not much. So David shared the truth of who Jesus was in the simplest terms. And then he he prayed for her. She thanked him, and they parted ways. Now, two months later, Sarah, David's wife, was leaving for work early in the morning, and their apartment is several floors up. And there was Cynthia sleeping on their stoop, and it was raining. And so Sarah called David on her phone, and he was getting ready for work. and, And she said, Dave, Cynthia's down here sleeping on our porch, and it's raining. And so my son made her breakfast, and he brought a raincoat down for her, and that's how it went for several years until Dave and Sarah moved out of the city, and and David hadn't seen her for a couple of years. But then one day, he saw her sitting on one of the most prominent corners in Minneapolis next to the IDS and Wells Fargo building, and she was kind of hunched over. She was holding a sign, and so David ran over in his business suit. He knelt down next to her, and he said, Cynthia, Do you remember me? And it didn't click right away, but then a big grin broke across her face, and David said it must have been the oddest sight 
you know, me sitting next to her on this curb and people walking past looking at us. But then she got all excited and she said to him, guess what? David said, what? She reached inside her shirt, pulled out a necklace and on that necklace was a key. She said, I got my own place. And David said she was ecstatic. She was thrilled to be able to tell someone that she finally has a place of her own. She had qualified for a program and was making some small payments. And David said, for the first time, what I saw in Cynthia's eyes was dignity. That she mattered. You know, when David was telling me this, I was expecting him to say that on Cynthia's necklace was a cross. But maybe that key will lead to a cross. See, to David, it doesn't matter what she believes at this point. All he sees is another person who deserves to be loved and valued. And he said, Dad, for me, I don't stop for everybody, but I always say hi. Easy. I always smile. And I always make eye contact. He said, there's risk in that because as soon as you do that, often they'll ask you for something, but... Every human being matters at least that much. When I asked him how he decides who he should help, he said, you know, it's just a, a prompting by God. It's a nudge that I get. I don't help everybody. Because I want all of you to know that compassion is not a program. It ought to be a practice that every one of us as Christians take on ourselves. Third observation you know, we can't do everything, but I'm telling you, all of us can do something. We can. I love how Jesus said this. He said, whenever you did it for one, just one, whenever you did it for one of the least of these, you actually did it for me. He brings it down to one because it's easy to get overwhelmed by the sheer scale of human suffering and then just kind of give up because it's so big. But Jesus said, look, don't do that. If you serve even one of the least of these, you serve me. It matters to me. See, the reality is that people are born into this world one at a time, and they suffer one at a time, and they die one at a time, and they get helped one at a time. Compassion is a one-at-a-time thing, and we can't do everything, but we can certainly do something. Several years ago, I went to visit one of our partners in, in uh, Nicaragua, Orphan Network, and the needs are massive, just overwhelming. But I learned that while we can't do everything, we can actually minister to some. And so this video is a little dated, but I want to show it to you again because I think it says the message well. So watch this. We'll come back and close up after it's done. I woke up the first morning in Nicaragua to the smells of breakfast fires and garbage piles that burn all day long. A few banana trees, birds singing, a couple of cockroaches in the showers let me know I was a long way from home. We took a bumpy van ride into Managua and pulled up to one of the feeding stations that Eaglebrook helped support and was able to participate in, in the actual feeding of children who are malnourished and we're looking for their one meal a day. I got a chance to uh, walk up to a table with about a dozen kids around it. I saw these children 
put their specific bowl on my tray. I took them back to the kitchen and they were filled with beans and rice. But as I thought about these unique bowls, each one belonging to a specific child, I thought, you know what? There's all kinds of children in the world, but each one is a child who matters to God. And each specific child is a human being who has a real soul, a real name, a real life. And I felt like this is what Jesus would be doing, ministering to the least of these. Prior to coming here, we were told about a place called La Shereka, a community living in a garbage dump. It's considered to be one of the seven horrors of the world, and it's a completely immoral place. Drunkenness, drugs, sexual abuse, anything goes. As we drove into the entrance of this dump, um, saw the garbage piles burning and random people walking by, some with piles of garbage on their backs in plastic bags. They were looking for any kind of metal, any kind of plastic bottle that they could put in their bags and recycle it. We came into a, an area where there were shanties that put together by plastic tarps, by uh, sheet metal, and this is where 3,000 people live. I thought to myself, this is what hell looks like. And the smoke rising and, and so forth. And I thought, this is not what God made humanity for. This is not what God planned for these people. It was like the movie Waterworld or Lord of the Rings. It was, it was coming into a different world. And here in the middle of this place is a school. 350 children um, from the garbage dump and here these children are dressed in their white uniforms and uh, running around in the playground and sitting in their classrooms, being educated and also being taught who Jesus is. These children would run up to me. Uh, there was one little girl who clung on right away. She looked at me and I looked at her and we both smiled at each other and uh, she just wanted me to hold her and I did. And then it was time for us to go and she gave me a, a kiss on my cheek gave her a big hug and swung her around and put her back down and said adios and she said adios. You know, Mother Teresa used to talk about the fact when you minister to the poor, you're not just ministering in Jesus' name, you're ministering to Jesus himself. And as I look back on some of the people we met in La Shereka, I can't help but think about what a privilege it was to have been able to minister to Jesus himself today. My prayer on this trip has been, God, change my heart. Do whatever you want to do in my life. And what I've come away with is, you know, I can't feed every starving child. I can't minister to every person on the globe. But what I'm learning is, you know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He didn't reach everybody. But when his life intersected another human being's life, he responded. And so what God is teaching me these days is, Bob, Whenever your life intersects another human being and you can discern what their need is, just, just respond. It might be just a quick prayer, it might be a smile, it might be feeding them a meal. And it doesn't have to be on a missions trip, doesn't have to be overseas, can be right at home. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to make that a part of who I am. I fail, I get selfish, but more and more I am trying to look at every person as Jesus would. And how would he have me respond to each individual 
that God brings across my path. So if heaven came to earth, more and more we would begin loving the things that God loves and doing the things that God wants us to do. But it's not a program. It's a practice. And I fail at this. I don't get it right. I got a long ways to go. And you don't have to travel to a distant country, Nicaragua. You don't have to go there. And a lot of you, by the way, are doing more, more of this than you probably realize. Some of you sponsor kids. I'm so proud of you for doing that. And did you know that every dollar that you give to this church, a part of that, a percentage of that goes to meeting the needs of the poor around the world, Mozambique, Nicaragua, Haiti, Ethiopia, right here in the Twin Cities. But here's how I want to end our service today at all campuses. I want to challenge our entire church to donate 100,000 hours of our time. Just donate 100,000 hours of our time by serving others from now until the end of March. This is going to pull us out of our comfort zone. It's, it, it, it's uncomfortable for me. I'm already thinking, Bob, what am I going to do? How, what are we going to do as a husband and wife? How are we going to respond? And, and I, I, I'm just praying that God will reveal that to us, but we need to be active and searching and thinking about it. God, what do you want us to do? Three hours. If all of us did that who attend this church and watch online, we would go over 100,000 hours of serving and we'd make an impact around the cities and around the country and world. You know, big churches sometimes get criticized for things. But the beauty of a big church is we can make a big impact. But all of us together need to be in it. And so what I want to do at this time is just uh, hand it off to all the campus pastors at the other campuses. Go ahead and we'll hand it off to you to give some instruction and direction as to how this is going to happen. And here at Lionel Lakes, I'm going to hand it off to our amazing young campus pastor, Andrew Herman. I just love this guy, and I know that you are uh, loving him as well. But Andrew, come on up. Where are you? You here? Oh, there you are. Okay, good. <laughs> and he's so good looking. So, Thanks, Andrew, Bob. tell us how to do it. Well, you guys, it would be amazing, wouldn't it, if we as a church, an entire church, served 100,000 hours uh, before the end of March. And I know there's so many different places that you could begin serving. I mean, you could start in your neighborhood at a local school or a local organization, but wherever it might be, we just want you to start. We want you to start serving the least of these. So I wanna give you just one place that you could begin serving. And as the Lionel Campus, we're beginning a brand new partnership uh, with the Union Gospel Mission. And the Union Gospel Mission is all about helping people that are facing addiction, poverty, and homelessness rebuild their lives through life-changing programs. And, and I love this about them. Their, their goal is to encourage each person to value themselves as God values them, to see the gifts that they have to offer the world and help them become a contributing member of our communities. And so there are so many different ways because of all that they do, there are, there's a variety of ways that we can get involved as a campus with them. You can start simply by writing notes of prayer and encouragement that get put on the beds of every single person that stay there at the shelter. You could go down and prepare and serve a meal uh, with your family or your friends uh, with the shelter staff down there. Or you could begin to mentor men and women uh, who are transitioning out of homelessness. But I really believe that as a campus, we have an opportunity to 
do a, a huge thing and show up in a big way at the Union Gospel Mission, not only till the end of March, but for the, the next few years uh, to show up with them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to head to the website where you're watching online or maybe right here in the room. Head to the website, eaglebrookchurch.com heaven, where you can find out all about our local partner and all the information uh, that we are gonna be tackling over the, the next month or so. Uh, but then what I want you to do to remind you of that, as you leave, we've got a card for you that has the website uh, that you can grab, or right now you can pull out your phone and you can text HEAVEN to 555-888 and we'll send you that website. But as you get there, there's one more thing I'd, look, I'd like you to do. Maybe you're already serving or you're gonna commit with us uh, to the end of March, how many hours you're gonna serve. We wanna know. So there's gonna be a place for you to tell us how many hours are you going to commit over this next month to make that happen. If, if it's one, three, five, 50, whatever it might be, we wanna know and celebrate that with you. And imagine what God is going to do through those hours uh, as we impact uh, the world around us, impact the communities around us, and imagine what God's kingdom uh, will, will happen or how it will happen here right in the Twin Cities. So that's what I want you guys to do as you leave today. But with that, let's all stand right now as I close us in prayer and, and dismiss us for the rest of the day. God, we are so thankful uh, for all that you do in our lives. But God, we're asking you right now to, to help us turn uh, our, our loving each other, not into a program, but into a, a daily practice of our lives. God, we know that it's a stretch sometimes to love others. But God, we know that when we love other people that are around us, we're actually loving you. And what we do for the least of these, we're actually doing for you. So would you continue to remind us each and every day, would you nudge us through your Holy Spirit to remind us to serve the least of these? And God, we know that as we get better at loving each other and loving those around us, God, we're, we're getting better at also loving you. So we're just thankful for all you're doing in our lives and how you're going to empower us till the end of March and beyond uh, to serve in our communities and to serve the least of these. So God, we're excited to do that. And would you send us, would you fill us up uh, with your Holy Spirit right now? So it's all these things that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. Thanks for coming this weekend. If you guys have any reason for prayer, we have some people down front, but otherwise have a great rest of your weekend.